Good morning. Glad you're here and looking forward to this morning. Um, <clears throat> as promised, and, and I know some of you have been out uh, with the holidays and, and our, a lot of our students are back. So, hey, students, glad you're here. Um, glad you made it back. Hope you had a good holidays. And uh, yeah, y'all can be more excited about them than that. That's pitiful. Um, I'm excited about you being here if nobody else is, so anyway, I'm kidding. Um, but as promised, we're going to begin today really looking at uh, the vision for our church and, and, and really going forward. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in just a minute. But today, uh, we're going to do this over two weeks. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at the why and what of, what of what God's called us to do and why we do it. Uh, and, and really... Um, it's, it's something that God's been putting in my heart for quite a while and, and really a, a combination of things that I feel like the Lord's been teaching me over the last eight months or so. And so really looking forward to sharing this with you. Um, so today's the why and what. Next week we're going to really be looking at how. How, does, how do we put feet to this? How do, what does this look like practically walking this out um, in our daily lives? For some of you who've been around uh, for a while, a lot of this is going to sound familiar. Um, you've, you've probably heard parts of this through different messages uh, where I feel like this will be different for you is seeing kind of how it all fits together. And, and that's what's been really exciting to me is for a long time I felt like God had been showing me a lot of things, um, but trying to fit it all together, God, what is it you are calling us to and, and want us to be about? And I will say this. If you want to understand what the local congregation, the local church, the local body of Christ is supposed to be about, we really have to look at what the big C church is called to be about. And that's a lot of what we're going to do today. And so um, that's where we're going to be. We're going to start, the first passage we'll read is actually in Genesis 1. We're going to cover a little bit of scripture today from Genesis 1 to Acts 1-8. So um, just a little bit of scripture, not a whole lot, a few years in between there. So We'll cover that. I do want to say this. Tonight, um, we're going to have another of our prayer and worship services at 6. It's exactly what it sounds like. We get together, we pray, we worship. Um, and I feel like this is vital to the life of our church, um, vital to doing uh, the things that we're going to talk about today and next Sunday. And I really would encourage you to come and be a part of that, um, just to come and pray. We lift up our voices to God, um, and we just really... Uh, worship him and seek him during that time. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that today or tonight, this evening at six. All right. Well, I want to pray. We're going to jump in uh, to what the Lord has for us today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that the truth sets us free. Lord, I pray and uh, just ask that the Holy Spirit, that he would work amongst us, that our hearts would be set on fire, that our minds would be renewed more to see the way you see and think the way you think, God. God, I pray that you would, um, God, just help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you say to us today. Lord, we love you and, and we are, God, thankful for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. How many of you like to go to the beach, but go to the beach specifically and swim in the ocean? Any people that love swimming in the ocean? Anybody at all? Yes, some of you love swimming in the ocean. 
How many of you are terrified of the ocean? You like the beach maybe, but you're terrified of the water. You're like, I'm getting in that water. A shark's going to get me, right? And everybody's like, well, you got a better chance of being struck by lightning than being bitten by a shark. And you're like, I don't care, right? I'd rather be on a golf course with a three iron in my hand during a lightning storm than get in the ocean, right? And that's kind of how I am. I've never been a big fan of water, especially when I get in the water and it's like I don't know what's around me. And so, um, but I have been in the ocean enough to, uh, you know, feel the waves and you feel uh, the waves and some of you've probably ridden on the waves. Maybe you're a surfer, maybe you're a body surfer, maybe you just get on like a little inner tube thing and let the waves bounce you around. But most of us probably have been in the ocean and felt the power of the waves. We've seen on TV how uh, waves have, have incredible power. And over the years, and even looking through church history, you can really see how God has moved in different ways through different seasons and different means. And here's the thing. The content has always remained the same. The content has always been God's truth empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the context, how it's been conveyed or, or the, 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 the context of, of the culture and how uh, God's used the church and his people to reach the culture around them has changed over time. You can go back and look at the history of the church and see how that's changed over time. And about two or two and a half years ago, I was in my office one day, I was just praying and and really just thinking about church, and I began to feel like the Lord began to speak to my heart about a wave. And, and this is when I really began to think about this, and I thought about the different aspects of a wave. If you're in the ocean and, and a wave is building out, um, you know, out further out into the ocean, you can really begin to feel its pull, can't you? You stand there and you kind of feel the, the sand even moving under your feet as this wave is building. And I guess that's somewhat of what I've been sensing over the last um, few weeks and even months is this sort of pulling. And then the wave begins to build as, as it's coming in. It begins to build and it builds and builds and builds until it crests. And once it crests, you, you really have this amazing amount of power that can move people, that can destroy things. It's an incredible amount of power that comes crashing down. And so for a while, that wave has incredible momentum and it, it really has incredible power. But what always ends up happening to a wave? At some point, the momentum stops. At some point, it comes to an end. And I felt like the Lord began to show me that. And almost in saying, look, where I've had you and where, what, where you've been is not going to be the same forever. The challenge for the church has been this, that as God has moved in different ways and these different waves have come through and it's broken and the momentum's been great and God's done things and eventually that wave peters out and it, it ends up stopping. And the challenge for the church has been not to kind of stick an umbrella in the sand, lay out a blanket, get a good book and sit there, right? You can stay there, but I believe what God's called us to do is get back out and really seeking him, asking him, Lord, what is it you want to do? And you, you, you feel the next wave and you begin to sense it and he begins to reveal and he begins to show and then the next wave comes and you catch it and his church continues to move forward. And I feel like that's where we've been and I want us to talk about where I really feel like God's brought us. See, in the beginning, I don't think in the first eight or 
so years of our church and 10, you know, it's been 10 years now. I don't believe that the vision God had given us was wrong. We, you know, we were like, okay, what does God want to do? And we, we, we felt like, okay, uh, we feel like God wants to reach 2,000 people by the year 2020. Well, then that kind of happened. And we're kind of like, okay, well, let's do 10,000. You know, I mean, you're kind of like, what is it, you know? And so we knew, though, that the heart of everything was let's reach people. Let's reach people for the kingdom. Let's reach them and teach them about Christ. Let's bring them into this growing relationship with Christ. Let's connect unbelievers to God, and then let's connect believers to each other so that we can equip them, we can equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is what we're going to be about. And it wasn't wrong. This is what I believe. It wasn't wrong It was just too small. And when I say small, I don't mean numbers. When I say small, I don't mean that we have to quantify the number. What I believe is this, that it's been too small in what we've been looking for God to do in our area of influence, in in what God wants to do even globally, not just through us, but remember, through the Big C Church, his overall church, all the churches that preach the gospel, that believe in the name of Christ, that are followers of Jesus, that this is what he wants to do, that there is a global purpose that God has in mind. And so I began to pray and I began to think about this. And, and I remember one day I was sitting at my desk. This has probably been maybe two or three months ago as some of this stuff started coming together. And I remember sitting at my desk and I had a legal pad in front of me. I still use paper at times. And so I, I wrote on the top of that paper, what is our primary purpose? And I sat there and I began to pray about it. Or what is our primary purpose? What do you, what do you want this to be? What is our primary purpose on earth? And then God took me to Genesis chapter 1. And I began to read, and and I want to read verses 26 through 28 to you right now. This is as God is creating things, and he comes, and now he's about to create man. It says in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And listen, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And he took me to that and I read it. And you know, I've talked about that verse many times in here on Sunday. And I read it, and I was like, I've talked about it, I've read this. All right, what, what is it, God? And then I realized, and I never realized this before. You may have, you're probably smarter than I am. But listen, I never realized this. That, that It hit me, those are the first words that God spoke to man on earth. It hit me that those words that God spoke to man were the first words and also the first command that he ever gave to mankind. Probably the first thing he spoke to them probably wasn't just like, hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? It probably had more purpose than that. He's like, hey, how you doing? Let me tell you, this is why I created you. 
This is why I made you. I made you in my image, and here's why I made you in my image, so that you can be fruitful and multiply, and you and I are going to live in this relationship, and you're going to trust me, and I'm going to work in you, and we're going to love each other in this unique relationship, and this earth that I've created, you're going to feel it, and this earth is going to be filled with, with the glory of my image and the glory of my grace and the glory of our love and the glory of righteousness and the glory of perfection. And all this is going to fill the earth. And I created you for this. And this is going to be awesome. And we're going to do it together. He gave them this command. Didn't quite work out like that, did it? Didn't take long. And man really screwed it up. We know in Genesis chapter 3, sin happened, right? But when we look at Genesis 1.28, and I'm going to ask them if they would, we got a slide I want to put up, a little graphic, the very first one here, it'll be on all of them. Um, Genesis 1.28. And so we see in the beginning a very clear purpose, a very clear reason for existence. We were in right standing with God. We had a relationship with God. Because we were connected to God, the creator, we had incredible creative possibilities in the earth to rule over it in a way that, that, that was God-honoring and glorifying. But then sin came, right? Sin came and it really messed things up. And that day I was writing primary purpose. I wrote down Genesis 128. I was like, first words God spoke to man. And then it just kind of popped in my mind. I was like, what were the last words that Jesus spoke to man on earth? And so I went and, and I started thinking. I was like, okay, Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8. And so I went to Acts chapter 1. And I want to read actually the, verse, uh, the, the verses uh, 4 through 8. But I want you to really hear, and I, it, it, I got to get to it. Needed one more paper clip. So Jesus has died on the cross. He's resurrected. He's about to ascend to heaven. And he says this. This is Luke writing. He says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Father had promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised when he ascended, he would send back the Holy Spirit. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. They're saying, look, when are you going to come and make all things right? When are you going to fix all this that's broken? He's saying, look, those times, those dates, those are set by the Father's authority. He says this, though, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And listen, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. What does that mean? That from Jerusalem, people would go out and fill the earth. What are they filling the earth with? They're filling the earth with the good news of Jesus, that Jesus has come. He has taken our sin upon himself. 
He took the wrath for our sin upon himself. He became unrighteous so that we could become righteous and be right standing with God. And he's saying, listen, I've given you this commission. It's not, an old, it's not a new one, really. It goes all the way back to Genesis 1.28 when the father said, now fill the earth and rule over it. Fill the earth with my image. Fill the earth in a way that will glorify me. Fill the earth with people who will adore and worship me. And he's saying, look, the, the, the command has not changed. It's no different than it was. The mission is the same. Now go from Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I'm sitting there at my desk and I'm reading this and thinking about this. And I'm like, OMG. I don't really talk like that, but I don't even text that. If you text that and you're a dude, you're not a dude. But I'm like, oh. And so you can look at it. Look, look at this next little graphic thing, slide, whatever, picture. It's somewhere. It's around here. There it is. Genesis 1.28, Acts 1.8. And this is what I started realizing, that Genesis 1.28 and Acts 1.8 are really like bookends in history. They're like bookends in history. You know what a bookend does, right? Like you can put a book in here and you stack books in between and then you put another one here and it kind of just holds the books together. In this case, Genesis 1.28 is a bookend. It frames the beginning of time and then it goes all the way to Acts 1.8 and you've got this other bookend. If you look at scripture, Genesis 1.28 is a bookend. It's right here and in between are all the books that come to Acts 1.8. And see, Here's what's amazing. In between Genesis 1.28 and Acts 1.8, God was making right all that was wrong so that we could ultimately do what we were originally created to do in the first place. Wow! Did you already know that? Bunch of liars. And I looked at it, I'm like, this is bookends of history. Genesis 1, 28 to Acts 1, 8. And see, here's the thing. And I know some of you, you probably have a hard time with Genesis because you're like, well, science says the earth is 2 million years old. And Christians say, and Ken Ham says that it's 6,000 years old. And it's like, which one is it? And you look at Genesis and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I just don't know if I can believe that. If I can't believe that. Does it make me where I can't believe in Jesus? And, and look, I, I, I know this. There's three things I can tell you. I'm not as big an idiot as you think I am. I'm not as dumb as you think I am. And I'm probably more analytical than you think I am. And so I analyze things and I look at those same things you look at, especially in the Old Testament and even some of the things in the New Testament. And I'm like, whoo. And, and I'm like, this is kind of tough. You may, you know, you go back to the days of creation and God spoke and I'm like, 
Man, it's kind of tough. But here's the thing I come back to. This is the thing that always brings me back is I see things like this, like Genesis 1.28 to Acts 1.8. I see all the stuff in between that's working us towards this Acts 1.8 scripture. I see Luke writing this. And here's the crazy thing, guys. I don't think Luke was writing this. And when he was writing it, I don't think he was going... How can I really dupe these people into believing what I'm writing? I know I'm going to tie Acts 1-8 back to Genesis 1-28. I don't think he did that. And so when I look at it, I'm like, I'm not a big enough idiot. I'm not dumb enough. And I know my analytical mind is wrapping around this thing that I may not understand everything because God is greater than I am. His ways are not my ways. But this is what I do understand. There is no man that put this together. No way. From Genesis 1, 28 to Acts 1, 8 and Everything in between, if you really begin to read and you begin to study, there's going to be a lot you don't understand. But the more you begin to understand, the more the pieces fall in. And there's places you're like, oh, what do I do with that? And here's the thing, though. You look at the overall picture and the overall plan, and you're like, it's not coincidence. This is legitimate. And I want to show you very quickly, and this is some of the stuff that you've probably seen I want to show you some of the things that happened between Genesis 1.28 to Acts 1.8. Because in the garden, in the garden, when we were with God and things were right, there were three things we had that we lost after sin. Those three things, uh, one was our righteousness. We were right with God. We had right standing with God. The second thing, because of our right standing with God, we had a relationship with God. Because of our relationship with God, we know that Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but we were connected with him. We had the authority, the power, the the right to rule and reign over the earth. But with sin, we lost those three things, the righteousness, the right standing with God, our, our righteousness that that brought right standing. We lost the relationship and we lost our ability to rule. Our rulership, I don't know if that's a word, but we're using it today. And so we lost those three things. But I want to show you something that's really incredible. It's a a huge act of God's grace that oftentimes I feel like is overlooked. It's actually in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. I want to read, and I won't have time to read every verse of everything we're going to look at. But I do want to read Genesis 11, 1 through 4. Now, I want you to think back to what we talked about our purpose was in Genesis 1.28, what Jesus said our purpose is in Acts 1.8. And I want you to think about that in light of what we're about to read in Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. 
They said, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Is that not 180 degrees backwards from what God tells us in Genesis 128? Absolutely backwards. We're here and, and they say, I know, let's build a tower to heaven. Let's work our way to God. I know, let's build something that will make a name for us so that people will look at us and think that we are something. And then they're not scattering throughout the earth. They're huddled together. They're all in one place. And the Bible says God comes down. He confuses the languages and scatters them throughout the earth. And so we see that they're trying to just get their way. You know, they even want to be God. They're making something for their name. They're huddled together. But then we go to Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord had said to Abram. Abram later becomes Abraham. He says, go from your country. In other words, go from where you've lived. Go from your place, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now think about this. This is just a few generations removed from the Tower of Babel. Now, in Genesis 11, a few generations before God comes to Abram, they're doing 180 degrees opposite of what they were created to do. How many of you at that point would say, I'm done with them? I would. I'm done. But there's this incredible act of grace that God comes to Abram. He comes to Abram. And it's not because Abram's that great. It's not because he's done anything that deserves it. God in his grace comes and begins to speak to Abram. I want to read Genesis 15, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 15, 1 through 3. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God speaking to him, he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? So remember now, he's promised that his offspring is gonna, they're gonna be a blessing to all nations. He's like, I don't have any offspring. I don't have any children. He says, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so God in his grace has come to Abram. And there's some things he begins to do with Abram that is huge. One, he begins to reestablish a relationship with man. They've rebelled against him. He's come down, scattered them. But he goes to Abram and he begins to speak to him. He gives him promises. He also shows us that in those promises, he shows us how we're gonna end up being made righteous or right with God again. What did Abraham do to make himself right with God? He believed. 
He believed him. By faith, he was made right. And then he tells him in Genesis 12, 3, from you, listen, I'm gonna bless the whole world. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. He reaffirms the purpose for which he created us. He begins this with Abram. And all this, listen, we're hitting some really high points. So the relationship begins to be established. He shows us how righteousness will be attained. And he tells us again the purpose for which we were created and that he has not given up on us or his purpose. Go to, and I'm not gonna read this one, but in, in Exodus chapter 19, we see God coming to Moses. He's, he's brought his people out of Egypt and they've been in slavery. He brings them out. And he makes this covenant or agreement with Moses. And he tells Moses, he says, listen, if you will do everything and these people will do everything that I command you, everything that I give you, he says that of all the people in the world, you'll be my special people, my treasured possession. I'll be your God and you will be my people. But you have to obey all of these things. And so here's something else we begin to see and learn. Listen, to stay with me. He says this, he says, look, this is the righteous standard. You go from Exodus 19 to Exodus 20, he gives the 10 commandments. They begin to roll out all these different things that will give them right standing, righteousness with God. The problem is the standard that is rolled out is too great so that none of us can attain this on our own. And so this shows us that right standing cannot be attained by building our own tower to heaven, by working our way there, by trying to make ourselves good enough. It's never going to happen. We can't do it. But thank God that it's already been revealed that righteousness will not come by our work and by our effort, but by believing the promise of God. That's huge. See, this was never meant to save us. Never. It's always been by faith, by belief and trust. But he reveals this through Moses. We come to David. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you about it. David's nearing death. He wants to build a temple for the Lord. He looks. He's living in a palace. The Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God's living in a tent. He's like, this isn't right. I need to do something about this. And God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan tells him, look, David, you're not the one that's going to build this house. You're not the one that's going to build it. In fact, your son's going to build this house. He said, but I tell you what I am going to do. I'm not going to let you build a house for me, but I'm going to establish a house for you, meaning your family, meaning your rulership, meaning your throne. And he says, one day, someone from your line, from your seed, from your offspring is going to sit on the throne forever and he's going to rule and reign and I'm going to have my people and my people are going to be ruled and reign over one who is going to renew and is going to bring life and he's making this promise to God. And see, in the promise to Abraham, it was God said, I'm going to do this, Abraham. It was an unconditional promise. And then we see with Moses, it was conditional. We had to do something to make it right. But with David, he just says, David, look, this is what I'm going to do. And so look at what we see. One, we see that relationship is being established. It's being promised. 
We see the way of righteousness is being foretold. We see our purpose is being reaffirmed. We see that we have no hope of making ourselves right. And we see that one day God is going to give back the ability for his people to rule and reign on earth. But see, up until this line right here and between here and here, all of these are promises. They've yet to be fulfilled. But in the end, God comes and he fulfills all of them through Jesus. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you begin to read and Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, he says, Christ's love compels us. In other words, he's saying the love that God has shown us in Jesus to make us right with him. It compels us to go to the world. It compels us to tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus that saves us, that, that's given us back our purpose. He's saying, look, the love compels us. And he goes on and he says, through Jesus, not only was he reconciling us to himself, but he was reconciling or bringing back together the whole world. He says in Christ, he was reconciling the world to himself. What do we see happen through Jesus? We see that through faith in Christ. Remember, the whole gospel is based off of believing in faith in Jesus, trusting in the promise that Jesus has taken my sin, that Jesus took the wrath for my sin, and by faith, as screwed up as I am, as bad as my past has been, as screwed up as I still am, listen, by faith in Jesus, I have become righteous because he was willing to become unrighteous for me. So I see my righteousness have been given back by faith. I see that relationship has been reestablished. I see that now, because relationship is reestablished, I see now that Jesus has ascended and he sent back the promised Holy Spirit. I see now that my purpose has been renewed and now we've been given back our authority to do what we were originally created to do in the first place. What is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission? Many of us can quote it. But Jesus says, go into all the world, right, and make disciples. But what does he say before that? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, because authority has now been given back, because authority has now been taken back, because now you're connected to me. Don't forget, you can't do anything apart from me. But through Christ and in Christ, I can do all things. That includes the original purpose for which we were created. And so Acts 1.28 to Acts, or I'm sorry, Genesis 1.28 to Acts 1.8. What happened between there? How many of you remember this picture or this diagram? from the past, past few months. Anybody remember seeing that? How many times did I draw it up here? Like 42, right? And we talked about that. And I was like, okay, I know this is what God's showing me. A friend and I were writing stuff down one day and it, it, it all started coming together. And remember, it's, it's where God and his grace and unconditional love sends his son Jesus to die for us. 
He makes us right with him. He pours his love out into us, his love in us. It begins to transform us. By faith, we received it. By faith, we received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit in us begins to worship. We have this relationship now established by God's unconditional love poured out on us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, this love and the Spirit that's been filling me, now it compels me to go. It compels me to tell. It compels me to love. It compels me to not give up. It compels me to push through. It compels me to be uncomfortable. It compels me because more than my comfort, more than what I want, more than what I even feel like I need is a desire to tell other people about the good news of Christ. And when we're compelled, the earth begins to change. The earth is renewed. Communities change. Nations change. The world changes. And, and God is ultimately glorified. You remember us talking about that. Well, here's how it fits. This all came together for me. This next slide. I saw how it fit. What is it? Genesis 1.28 is clear. This is why we were created. Acts 1.8, it hasn't changed. But what had to happen in between because of Genesis 3? God had to make us right again. God had to reestablish a relationship. He knew we couldn't do it, but God is so good and merciful and loves us so that he made a way that he could stay right, that he could be righteous, that he could be just and still bring us back to himself. And that's in the person of Christ. We sing the song, The Power of the Cross. We sing about his blood. And I know for people who don't understand that singing about blood is kind of weird. The reason we sing about it is because at the cross, Jesus shed his blood. In that sacrifice, our sin was paid for. Remember the sacrifice in Genesis 3.21, right after sin, God sacrifices an animal to cover Adam and Eve's sin and shame. Jesus became the final sacrifice in this long history of bloody sacrifices. All the lambs in the world couldn't take away mankind's sin, but God in his grace and mercy sent the Lamb of God, Jesus, to die on a cross to take our sin and the wrath for it so that the one who was righteous became unrighteous so we could become the righteousness of God. I want you to see the love of God in this. I want you to see the purpose in this. So what does it look like, man? Today, I want you to see his purpose has never changed. I want you to see that we, church, have been given back everything that we need as we cling to Jesus, as we're one in him. Everything we need to do what we were originally created to do has been given back in faith in Jesus. And see, here's the thing, and here's even where my mind can begin to, to go, hold on. You mean to tell me that God can change this whole thing? Yeah, if he created it, he can make it right. See, a lot of our church history, a lot of our experience in the world, a lot of our lack of understanding in God because he's not like us. 
makes us look at the past and go, there's no way this can happen in the future. Well, it's not if we think like that. It's not if we limit ourselves to what we've seen, not what God's promised. And call me crazy. Won't be the first time. But guys, I believe at the end of 2019, I believe at the end of the next decade, I believe in 50 years that we can look back and go, thank God I didn't stay stuck in this weak mindset, in this worldly mindset, this status quo mindset, this just get by mindset. Thank God that I can lay here even if I'm on my deathbed and I can cry tears of joy because I know this. I look back over my life and everything I did for the kingdom, I have no regrets. I stumbled and I fell. It hurt at times. It wasn't easy at times. Things went against me. Things didn't always go my way and I had to battle and I had to fight, but I locked arm in arm with other people who were going for the prize. And the thing I can tell you is I wouldn't trade it for anything. It might have cost me some worldly things. It might have cost me some relationships. It might have cost me some material things. It might have cost me this. It might have cost me that. But the thing I can tell you is I wouldn't take it back in the, for anything for what I've seen God do. I'd rather die and y'all wrote on my tombstone, this man is crazy as hell. <laughs> than for me to die knowing I just rolled over because of the forces of hell. I ain't doing it. I can tell you this, I'm thankful for all I've been through. Those of you who've been around, there's been some low, 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 low places. There were four or five years I didn't know if I wanted to live. I don't know what happened. I think it was demonic. I think it was physical. I think it was mental. I think I might have been crazy. But the thing I can tell you is this. I wouldn't trade it for anything because I wouldn't know God the way I know him. I wouldn't know the power of God the way I know him. My health right now, who I am right now, is all a miracle of God. And if you want to know does God exist, then look right here. I'm telling you, this is it. I, I can tell you this. One day I'm praying. I'm like, oh, God, show me the vision. Show me, God. Because people are like, where are we going, man? What are we going to do? You the quarterback called to play? I'm like, well, coach normally calls to play. I can call my own play. don't want to call my play. Lord, help me. What's the vision, Lord? What's the vision? What do you want us to be about? What do you want us to do? I can tell you, I was walking down the hallway in the office and there's a corner where it turns. And I was right there by that corner about to walk into my office door. And right as I'm walking by there, it just hit me. It almost made me like stop. It hit me. And the Lord just spoke to my heart. He said, why don't you let my vision be your vision? That's too simple. And I realized, guys, this is it. Acts 1.8, Genesis 1.28. That's why we're here. If you're tired of just wandering through life, step into your purpose. If you're tired of just existing, step into your purpose. If you want to find real fulfillment, step into your purpose. 
That's what we're going to do together. I just keep seeing over and over and over in my mind this army. And remember, I preached about the dry bones, right? They were dry and it was dusty and, and there was no life in them. But God told, the prophet says, prophesy to the bones. And, and, and God began to breathe life into the bones. And what did it say arose? It said a vast army arose. I believe we're coming into a season that God is awakening his church, not just Connection Church, but his church to fulfill the purpose for which he died to give it back. I believe it, y'all. And see, the first thing that has to happen is you got to see this. And you can't see it just logically, even though to me it makes a lot of sense. You got to see it with the eyes of faith. And here's where I know some of you have been. Some of you have been trying to build a tower to heaven. You've been trying to make yourself right with God. You, you even shrink away from God because you know, like, I don't measure up. I don't meet the standard. And what I'm telling you today is that's the point, that Jesus died to meet the standard for you and give you the standard of righteousness and right standing with God. And maybe for you, you never said yes to Christ. You never come to faith in Jesus Man, I believe that the Spirit's speaking to somebody, maybe a lot of you, I don't know. And maybe, maybe even church for you has always been about, I'm gonna build my kingdom to heaven. I, I gotta work hard and I can get there. You're never gonna get there. Listen, you're never going to get there. You can clean it up, but you can't change your heart. Only God can do that. You can make it look better. You can fool people around you. Not gonna work. There's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved because there's only one name under heaven that's able to reconcile people to God. And his name's Jesus. And just like Abraham was made righteous by trusting in God's promise, listen, it was foreshadowing us trusting in Jesus and his promise that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it means this, it doesn't mean that you get saved, you get a ticket to heaven and you just cruise along. No, it means you get saved, he begins to work in you, then he begins to work through you. And we lock arm in arms as a vast army and you become one of those people in that army. And we begin to move and we begin to storm the gates of hell and we begin to take back for the kingdom of light what belongs right now to the kingdom of darkness. But the first step is being reconciled to God, being made right with God. And so today, if the Spirit's speaking to your heart, listen, it's real simple. If God is speaking to you, you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. You've never been reconciled with God, sin forgiven. You've never tasted the goodness of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, His unconditional love for you, His power in you to do in you and through you what you can't do on your own. You've never had that. Then I wanna ask you today, if God's speaking to your heart, would you respond to that? Take a step of faith. Believe and trust your first step of faith. And if you're doing that today, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me today. I'm saying yes to Jesus. We're going to pray for you. We're going to try to walk this out with you. We want to help you. But I'm telling you, for most of us who said in church, what God has for us is way bigger. It's way bigger than what we've learned. So you know today that's you, man. Listen, today may be the first day you walked in the doors. 
Maybe it's the first day you've been in church in a long, long time, maybe ever. I'm not trying to convince you, but I know if the Spirit's speaking to you, just respond. When we were worshiping at nine, I had this sort of like just thought or image that came into my mind. And it was like I was sitting in my own home and I'm sitting there with a loaded gun. And this is just kind of how I am. I've got 55 guns in my house. I don't know, I haven't counted them, but don't try to come in. And um, so, and I'm sitting there with a loaded gun. But in my mind, what I saw is someone coming into my house and, and one by one, they were just taking things. They take something, they come back, get something else, come back, get something else. And I realized it's like, I'm getting robbed. But I'm sitting there with a gun and I'm like, well, I could do something about it, right? And this is all just kind of happening in my mind. I'm just thinking about this. And then it hit me. I'm like, that's kind of how the church is. You know, the Bible says in the Gospel of John that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe he's been having a field day in the church. I told you beginning of this thing and just announcing the prayer and worship time. This is going to happen. It's going to happen through prayer. It's going to happen through worship. And so, listen, I believe this, that we've got to stand and we've got to pray. We've got to stand firm in his truth, and we're going to pray. And I want to ask you right now, if you would, to stand to your feet, and we're going to pray together. And I told you a while back that, that we got to keep swinging, that sometimes, man, it's hard. Sometimes we don't want to keep swinging the bat. We got to keep hitting. We got to keep knocking. And that's what we're going to do here. But listen, you don't need to just do this uh, here. You don't need to do this just at 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. This is something that, that we've got to make a part of our life. We get to make a part of our life. And what I want to encourage you with, don't settle for status quo. Don't settle for what has been. Let's take the armor of God, his truth, the faith that's made us right. The shield of faith that extinguishes his attack. And let's take the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and let's begin to tear down what Satan has tried to build. And so that's what we're going to do right now. And listen, if we do this in here, my prayer is, look, you begin to do this in your own life for the kingdom. You begin to do this in your own life for your marriage. You begin to do this in your own life for your children. You begin to do this in your own life for the relationships. You begin to do this in your own life to draw strength from God in the temptations you face. You begin to do this and you war in this in the face of fear. You begin to do this and you begin to, to press the enemy back in your life instead of just taking it all, everything he wants to dish out. And so I'm going to tell you this, as I pray, this is not a one-man show. We are a vast army. If an army goes into war and there's one man shooting, what's going to happen? You're going to get beat. And so as I pray, you pray. It's probably weird for people. Look, it's church. We pray. 
So pray. Pray out loud. Pray to yourself. But let's pray. Let's stand firm together. Look, I just, I want to punch Satan in his nasty face, right? I know I'm crazy. But we're going to pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you right now that you would begin to tear down strongholds through your truth and through the power of your Holy Spirit. For the one who's here today and are going, this is crazy. God, bring them to their knees. God, bring them to their knees in your love and in your grace and in your power. Holy Spirit, would you move? Holy Spirit, have your way. We know you're here, Lord. Make us more sensitive to what you're saying. Make us more sensitive to your word. Make us more sensitive to the things going on around us. God, would you give us your eyes to see? God, give us your ears that we can hear what the Spirit says. God, we're done with apathetic Christianity. God, we want you. We desire you. God, we've all got messed up junk in our lives, but your word says that we can come boldly before your throne of grace. And this morning, God, I pray that each one of us through faith in Jesus would reach up and take hold of your throne. God, that we would begin to shake the floor of heaven. And God, that what's there will begin to come down and that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that we would see that this Bible that you've given us, your word is not some well-crafted plan written over hundreds of years by, by all these different authors and 66 books telling the same story. God, let this become the source of our life. Would you empower it as we read it? God, would you give us a heart to get with others who can help us understand it? God, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us during the day? Speak to us during the night. God, we rebuke every spirit of fear that would keep us from doing what you would have us to do. We, we ask, God, that you would fill us with boldness and courage as we go forward. God, I pray that, that any spirit of doubt that tries to come over us would be swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. God, we stand in the gap for our spouses. We pray for them, Lord, that you would raise them up. God, we pray for them, that you would speak to their heart. God, we pray that if there's any bitterness in us, God, that it would be removed. And that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, and faithfulness, generous, all the fruit of the Spirit, God, that it would be evident in our marriage because of the Spirit of God working in us. We pray for relationships that are estranged. We pray for relationships that, that aren't godly. Would you give us courage to step out? Would you give us courage to make it right? Would you give us courage to do the things you put before us? God, would you give us courage to share all you've done in our heart and in our life, God? God, we come to you just as, as your people, Lord. We're your people and we are so thankful. God, do in and through us all that you have in mind. God, we know it's costly. God, we know it, it's not easy. But God, in light of who you are, in light of what you've done in reconciling us to you, in light of such a clear purpose and mission, in light of the joy that comes in the fulfillment of doing what we were created to do, God. God, we're in. 
Holy Spirit, bind us together, lock us arm in arm, a vast army for your kingdom. God, begin to do in all your churches what you have in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.